as y'all are seated, take your Bibles or your device and find Psalm 34. We'll be there in a few moments. If I were to ask you, go up and down the road and ask you, uh, when does worship happen? The majority of people would say, well, it happens on Sunday, uh, maybe at 11 o'clock or maybe at 10.30 or maybe at uh, 9 o'clock. And it's located in a time and in a place. Well, that's not wrong. That's when we gather to worship as a family. But hopefully that's not the only time worship happens. That is much broader than that, and it reaches much further than that. We want to look a little bit this morning about the incredible jewel that worship is. A.W. Tozier has written a tremendous uh, book about the missing jewel. Uh, and it's like if you take worship as a huge jewel here and you turn it every facet along the way, gives you a fresh look at who God is. But worship is something that is to be intentional. It's to be planned. <clears throat> it's to be done on purpose. Now, remember we're talking about intentionality. That's been our theme here for, for a long time. Because we feel that if we are intentionally committed to the great commission and the great commandment, God's going to grow a great and powerful church here. And we've seen that evidenced as we do the same thing that the early church did. You see, the early church in Acts chapter 2, they focused on five things. This, this was it. Five things that they did on purpose. They did intentionally. And as they did that, Holy Spirit just worked fabulously to bring people to faith in Christ and to grow that church. What did they do? We began to isolate what those five things were and began to, to restore and, and repractice that even in our own lives. We looked about intentional evangelism, intentionally sharing the gospel, intentionally sharing our faith with other people. And, and as we did that, we immediately began to say such incredible response as Holy Spirit blessed that intentionality, blessed that purposefulness. And then we looked at, at intentional discipleship and how the, the disciples in Acts chapter 2, they, they stayed after the apostles' doctrine and applying it to their lives. And their lives were very radically changed and it impacted those they were around. Then we looked at intentional fellowship. And that real fellowship doesn't have anything to do with the chicken leg, even though we, as Baptists we are convinced that it does. But that fellowship flows out of our relationship with God. And as that relationship just dominates us, then it impacts the horizontal relationship, our relationship with others. And as we seriously have taken opportunities to fellowship, God has grown that love. But something happens when we're together loving one another. The community, the scripture tells us, this world is going to know you're genuine about your faith because of your love for one another. So as we practice this openly, it is a magnetic draw to our community. <clears throat> last week we began to focus on intentional worship. And remember we did that by having the whole service surrounding the Lord's Supper, communion. And how we focused on how we would prepare our heart before we had come to the table of the Lord. And how as we were there, <coughs> we were sitting with Him as the head of the table. And we magnified the body of the Lord, the blood of our Lord, and we remembered how our salvation came to us. And we focused that whole day intentionally on worshiping in and around the Lord's Supper. See, intentionality is so important. And this morning, that's what I want to talk about is intentional worship. Intentional 
worship. And that's exactly what was going on in Acts chapter 2. So let me read that over you. You stay at Psalm 34. But let me read that over you here in Acts chapter 2. It says, so, continuing daily with one accord, where? In the temple and breaking bread from house to house. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, open our hearts now to receive what you have for us individually. Individually. We're listening. Speak, O Lord, your children are listening. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen. Worship cannot be confined to one place at one time and in one particular manner. It just can't. Sometime go and study the episode of Jesus meeting with the woman at the well. And that's what a lot of that was about. She said, oh, you Jews, you say you have to worship down in Jerusalem, but, but we say you, you worship here uh, at Mount Gerizim and, and blah, 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 blah. He said, girl, you're missing it. Because <laughs> there's coming a time that neither in Jerusalem nor here, Because worship is something that is done in spirit and in truth. It transcends a place. It transcends a time. It it transcends a, a particular form. And we want to look at what it really means to be about intentional worship this morning. Now, when the early church met and worshiped, it had this impact in two realms. I mean, it was like shockwaves going out. In two different realms. And I want us to look at those this morning. The first realm was the realm of the believers, the realm of the early church. When they met together and worshipped in spirit and in truth, and Holy Spirit was doing dynamic things in their lives, it had these shock waves that went all the way through the early church. The church was empowered. They were encouraged. They were healed. They were, they were, were, were made manifest, the Holy Spirit of God. So it impacted the believers and the community of faith. But there was another ripple effect. Boom, it went out. And this was the community around. You see, when they met, others showed up that were not part of the church. Others showed up. Some people came from the Jewish leadership. And they came to check out what was going on. And to see if they could find anything wrong. And report back to their leaders. Others were sent from Rome. And they were there to check everything out. See, what are they doing maybe against Caesar, against the government? And then there were people from the community that were saying, what's happening? You know, we're hearing all this stuff in these lives. Even our neighbors are being changed and transformed. What's this all about? So these people would come in and to check things out. And the scripture tells us that when the church was worshiping, when Holy Spirit got loose, when they were, were free to just, uh, without any, any concerns or whatever, just to, to give themselves over to the worship of the Most High God, people by the hundreds and thousands 
began to be drawn by that and give their hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. So when the church worships with intentional, purposeful, powerful worship, there is this impact that ripples through the church itself and through the community at large. And that's what we see in Acts chapter 2. So I want us to look at that, to dig into that this morning, and, and to realize what that means. Now for me, when I think of worship, my heart is drawn to the Psalms. The, the Psalms are just powerful ways to express our heart to God. If that heart is sad or hurt or crushed, if that heart is filled with joy or excitement and thrill, whatever, the psalmist gives words to me. You know, sometimes we just don't have words to express what it is that's going on in our heart. So God gives us the words in these wonderful songs that were written, most of them by David, but not all of them by David. And uh, we've lost the tunes. We don't know the tunes to them anymore. And they don't have rhyme and harmony like we're used to having. But they were songs. And they were the songs of ancient Israel. They were the songs of the early church. And Psalm 34 is one of those that I want to call your attention to. But as we read that today, I want to ask you to do something. I want you to listen to what's the ingredients of worship. Follow along in your Bible or just listen. What are the ingredients of worship? What did they do? What was happening in their hearts and lives? What were they doing with their bodies? What was engaged in worship? Psalm 34. I will bless the Lord at all times, not just Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Isn't that a shocker right off the bat? I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall be continually on my lips. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name forever. What are some of the words that you, you heard here that describes worship? You heard some words that was about personal worship. What's happening personally in my heart. And then you heard other words that, that we have to do together. It takes all of us to do. To me, I think one of the most amazing worship psalms, though, is Psalm 100. Go back there a little further. Find Psalm 100. I memorized this as a young child. I was just, just getting to where I could learn real well. And my aunt, who was the only religious influence I had in those early days, uh, she wanted me to, to memorize Bible verses. And so she bought me one of these little bitty magnifying glasses. And maybe you've seen some of these. You hold it up to the light, look in this little hole, and there's a little uh, plastic lens in there, and there's uh, a memory verse in there, and it's microscopic, but looking through the uh, magnifying glass, you can read it. And that intrigued me. So she promised to fix me a cake, to make me a cake if I'd memorize that. You know what it was? It was Psalm 100. And so from my earliest days, this was one that, that was in my mind, but it wasn't always in my heart. And when I began to realize that this is one of God's recipes for worship, then it took on a whole new dimension. Look at it. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord. All ye lands, serve the Lord. With gladness, come before his presence. With singing, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. 
So enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts be praise. Be thankful unto him, and bless his name, for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting, and his truth endures throughout all generations. What do you hear? Here are things that we have to do to to make a noise, to shout unto the Lord, and to to be thankful and to be filled with praise. It's a recipe for what worship looks like down in the depths of our heart. But it is also a recipe of what it looks like for us collectively, what we do together. You see, those are the two aspects. This is not the only time worship is supposed to happen in your life. You don't need to be dependent on a praise team. You don't need to be dependent on a pastor. Worship is something that happens in the depths of your heart, in the quiet of your home, driving in a car. It could happen with you and all your kids or grandkids. Uh, It can happen collectively. But listen, let me tell you something. Listen very carefully. Private worship can be congregational worship. You can have private worship and congregational worship, but you can't have congregational worship unless you're having private worship. You see, because it flows out of our heart. It flows out of what's happening within us, how we are encountering God individually together. Here's what happens. When we, as individual in the quiet of our little prayer closet, or whether it's right here, What we're doing, we're magnifying God for the world to see. We're exploding Him on a a big screen in our worship. John the Baptist actually taught us how to do that. When he was looking at Jesus and realized who Jesus was, you remember what he said? He must increase and I must decrease. That's, that's, That's a recipe for worship. That worship is all about me lifting God up and who He is and the wonder of who He is and the glory of who He is and the power in His name. And I'm decreasing. My preferences, my hopes, my wants, my aches and pains, those go down. Because when I enter into worship, it's not about me. It's about Him. It's the one time I take my eyes off of me. And focus my attention and my concentration just on Him. We need that, folks. We need that something fierce. Because our lives can become so me-centric. To have a time that we let life be more about Him is something that's essential for us. Now, I want us to look at these two great impacts. Let's, let's put them under the microphone, the, the, the magnifying glass. Let's, let's look at them and unpack them here for a moment. First of all, intentional worship magnifies Christ in the believer. That's us. Let's look at this impact, this, this shockwave effect that it has on us. Two words, two words I want you to underscore, put them in your notes here, about worship as it comes, about the believer. And that's these two words. It's the word preparation and participation. First of all, let's talk about intentional preparation. Brother Fred, can can worship just happen spontaneously? Oh, of course it can. And it does sometimes. That's wonderful. But you and I need to learn the discipline of intentional worship. 
of preparing for worship and then entering into that worship for which we are prepared. We need to learn that discipline. We need to practice that. Because again, that's what made the early church so powerful in their worship was the preparation. We're to prepare ourselves for worship. And it sets into motion what Holy Spirit wants to do in our lives. Let me tell you historically where you see this. Again, it's in the Psalms. Now, in the Old Testament, people were required to go to Jerusalem for certain worship periods, for feasts or festivals or whatever. And Jesus did this every year for, for his, his life. At least once a year, he would make the journey to Jerusalem. Now, for most of us getting to church, that was a five-minute drive, 10-minute drive, 30-minute drive, whatever, not that terribly long. To go for these feast days was a week-long trek where you did the walking, all right? So during that period of time, people fellowshiped with one another. They spent a lot of time with one another. But eventually, they had to start going uphill. Why was that? You see, wherever you are in Israel to get to Jerusalem, you have to go uphill. North, south, east, west, all the way around, doesn't matter. Israel is uphill. And so when they began to go uphill, <clears throat> if you look in your Bible, the latter part of the Psalms, the last Psalms, are called the Psalms of Ascent. A-S-C-E-N-T, Ascent. And Ascend means to go up. And these are the songs that they sang with one another and personally to prepare their hearts because they were going up to worship. And as they were going up to worship, they would sing out loud together, preparing their hearts to enter into the temple area. Entering into his gates with thanksgiving and entering into his courts with praise. You see, they were actually doing that. They were preparing their hearts. And it was essential for them to do that. Again, that's what Psalm 100 especially talks about. Let us make, serve, come, enter, thanksgiving, praise. All of these are things we're doing in preparation for worship. It gets us ready. I want you to, to see this. This involves all of who we are. There in your notes, there are four blanks. I'll give you, give you these words. We must prepare ourselves mentally, emotionally, spiritually, and physically to come into worship of the Most High God. We have to be prepared. We have to be prepared mentally. Get our, get our minds straight. Get our brains focused. You know, getting here is not all fun. I, I understand that. <laughs> our boys were real little while we were here. And, uh, and, and getting here sometimes is not the easiest part of worship. It's not. And so, you know, one of the things that's helpful is you get your children here. You get them incarcerated. In, I mean, are you going to take them to the, uh, the rooms? Then go get your nose in a corner somewhere. Confess, God, I didn't mean it when I threatened to kill them. I really didn't. And get your heart ready to come in here. And that may take a song or two. It may take a verse or two. You may still be standing in the corner when I finish, all right? But this is about preparation. I understand it's not real easy to get here. We're going to talk about some specifics of what we can do to prepare in a little bit. But see, let me share this quote with you. It's from the Archbishop William Temple years and years ago. Worship is to focus the conscience on the holiness of God. 
to feed the mind with the truth of God, to purge the imagination with the beauty of God, to open the heart to the love of God, and to devote the will to the purpose of God. What a beautiful picture of what it is to enter into worship. So it starts with preparation. Praying before you get here. Getting into the Word before you get here. Some of you, this is fairly easy. You're a family of one right now. So that's a little easier to manage. But if you're a family of two or three or four or five or whatever, it, 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 it takes planning. It takes purposefulness. Uh, what's that word we're using? Intentionality. It takes being intentional about it. So what this message is about is, is helping us to understand that what made that church great and what will make our church great if we're intentional about our worship. And it starts with being prepared. Preparing our hearts. But the second ingredient then is participation. Participation. See, here's something I want you to write down. It's not in your notes. Will you make a note of it? Worship is not a spectator event. Worship is not a spectator event. Now, I enjoy, I enjoy sports. I enjoy football, baseball. I enjoy, just I, All of them I enjoy. And I, I go to games from time to time. You know, I, I like the special seat I've got in my home, in my recliner or such. So that's where I am most of it. But I love to go to the games. But, you know, you, you, you watch the men out on the, out on the field or on the court. They're the ones that are in the game. And you're cheering them on. And you're glad when they win. And, and, and you're upset when the refs make the wrong calls or whatever. I, yeah. But they're doing the sport. And you're watching it. You're a spectator. You get to see the good plays. You get to see the calls the refs misses. You get to see that. But you're not in the game. And many of us have got the idea, that's what coming to church is. It's a spectator event. We, we watch the praise team lead in songs, and, and, and sometimes they're pretty good. I didn't know that one. I don't know if I like that one. It, but but we, we, we watch it. And we listen to a preacher expound the Word of God. And we say, well, I don't know. I don't think I like that. Uh, that's okay. I, I, you know. And it's a spectator thing. Worship is not a spectator event. Worship is a participatory event. You participate in worship. It's not like watching a game. This is something you're engaged in on the back row, in the sound booth, wherever you are, it's something that you're engaged in. It engages all of who you are. Every aspect of who we are. Look, again, at Psalm 100. You know, we're to shout, we're to serve, we're to come, we're to sing, we're to know, we're to, we're to enter, we're to thankfulness, we're to give praise... It's stuff we do, and we do it participating. There's nothing you'll find in your Bible about church the way we do it today. There's not. 
It was always something we were engaged in. The church was engaged in it. Worship that doesn't engage us isn't worship. It's something else. Let me tell you what it is. I'm going to make you mad, but I'm going to get over, you have to get over it. Seeing worship as a spectator event is a satanic counterfeit. You have been duped into buying something that's plastic when God wants you to have the real thing. Spectator worship is a cheap imitation. It's not what the Bible talks about. And this is one of the reasons that our churches sometimes are so weak and anemic. And there's a lack of commitment. It's because it's not expected that we do anything. We watch others do it. We don't worry about caring for that person who's hurt. That's something the deacons have to do. We don't worry about, about teaching our kids the truths of the Word of God. They've got people at the church that do that. And so we give the idea that this is something that we just sit back in and we say, okay, here. Here, bless me, I dare you. And that's some of the things that, that ministers and ministers of music and worship leaders face regularly. A sense of pushback, an invisible pushback from the congregation that says, bless me, I dare you. Move me, I challenge you. But that's not our job, did you know that? That's not my job. That's not the job of the praise team. That's Holy Spirit's job. And He's the only one who can do it effectively anyway. Bible tells us that we're to participate humbly, humbly before God. You know what worship is? Worship, the very word worship is to, to establish worthship. And it's built off the word that means literally to bow down, to bend over with the weight of the holiness of God that is upon you. Back in late December, early January, we went to visit Michael out in um, uh, Washington before he had all his surgery and everything. And we flew in to a foot of snow. And another foot fell while we were there. Okay. And so at, at his house, while we were doing things and having to get out and about, he's got all these, these beautiful evergreens all the way around his property. But the snow was a, was a heavy, wet snow. So you know what that does, don't you? As it, as it got on all of those branches, it pulled those branches way down. And they were nearly touching the ground with the weight of the snow on them. And I was having my, my devotions early one moment. I was looking out the window. And I said, the trees are bowing before Almighty God. The weight of His presence falls upon them. And I don't want an evergreened out worship me. Worship is sensing the holiness and the wonder of God. And, and in all of His brilliance and glory, then it makes us transparently filthy. When Isaiah had his vision of God high and lifted up, he saw him in all his holiness and the train of his robe filled the whole temple. 
And what did he say? I am undone. I'm coming apart at the seams. Because I'm standing in the presence of holy God. And I am nothing like holy. That's worship. That's bowing down in the immense presence of who he is. And lifting him up as we put ourselves where we belong. We're to worship humbly, but we're also to worship honorably. And that's giving him the honor that he's due, recognizing him for who he is. He's not a genie that you can rub a lamp or ding a little bell and he's to come and to give you three wishes or whatever. That's not God. God's not obliged to you for anything. But you're very much obliged to Him. He's not a servant that at your beck and call. But you are His servant. And you're at His beck and call. So to rejoice in Him honorably, to praise Him, to shout joyfully, to bless His name, to exalt His name, to boast in who He is. That's participating in worship to where he's magnified he's made large in our lives you know i i, I love the, the set right here you know timothy don't think small about anything does he <laughs> and I, I i came here looked around and i said oh fred you are not in kansas anymore that's for sure but there is a rhyme and a reason to this children especially they're small anyhow and so they're impressed by the enormity of this. And that's by design. Because what we're teaching next week is how God has creatively formed each and every one of you in all of your intricate, beautiful, artistic splendor. We're going to plant seeds this next week. Do you know that child would have to be in Sunday school seven months? To get all of the Bible study that we're going to pour into them next week? Yeah. So you be praying for our children. Prepare for our, pray for our leaders. That we can plant the gospel deep in their soul. We don't push them. We don't hurry them to make decisions. No, that's, just, that's so wrong. But we present the gospel to them and encourage them to just fall in love with Jesus. And all of His wonder and all of His glory. And that's why we have worship times with them that we'll be doing. So, hear this. Worship is something you participate in. Now, it's different from you than it is for me, and it's different for everybody because we're just different folks. But listen. Don't criticize or judge somebody for worshiping differently than you do. Because worship is a multifaceted jewel. The Quakers worship in silence. There's no singing. There's no music. The reading of the Word is all that there is. And yet that's real worship. Others worship with a rock band blaring. It's not a matter of right or wrong. It's a matter of participating as God calls you to. I tend to get happy in worship. I tend to get happy singing. 
I'm moved by those songs. I used to, used to sing solos or sing in small groups. I got to where I can't do that anymore because the words of these songs move me so greatly I find myself in tears. And you're having to fill in the words because I can't sing them anymore. I'm overwhelmed with that. But that's, it's because it's engaging our heart. And sometimes I'll get to bouncing and I'll get to dancing. Go ahead and forgive me now. It's going to happen. It's already happened once. Excuse me, in, in Baptist circles, it's not dancing, it's rhythmic movements. But I'll be guilty of rhythmic movements before you. Let me tell you something that happened in my life. While I was here as your pastor, I had always been instructed in a very stern military environment. And emotions, or demonstrative emotions, was not something that I was free to do. I was much more bound in that. And I had opportunity to go to Ridgecrest. Larry and I did. I think it was Jack and Ruth Dodds. There may have been some others that went at that particular time. And I followed a track that was being led by Peter Lord, that great pastor, preacher from Titusville, Florida. Tremendous man of God. Anointed by the Holy Spirit to just cut through the garbage and go right to your heart. He just, tremendous man. And he was preaching and teaching on worship. And between those episodes, we had times of prayer, times of meditation, times of, of singing and praise. And I was sitting about four rows back on one side, and just a, two rows ahead of me on the other side were two young ladies. And in a time of, of singing a very moving and emotional song, I glanced at the one young lady closest to me, and she had her head back, her hands were up in the air, and she was singing just to the top of her lungs. And I said, you know, that's not necessary. I don't see any reason for that. I don't see why I have to get all emotional and everything about that. And right there, God smucked me like a bug. Who are you to criticize somebody worshiping me? Where are you to get off? Knowing you've got the only way to worship. Look at her again, Fred. And I did. Tears were streaming down her face. She wasn't aware I was in the room or anybody else. It was just her and her sweet Lord that she was loving on. And was loving her back. And I said, God, I repent. I went to the altar in tears. God, forgive me. Release me from the prison of the straitjacket I've got in my life. And allow me to freely, uninhibitedly, just love you in worship, whether it's in my office or in my prayer closet or in the congregation. Let me just be free to love you like she is. I never knew her name. But she remains my hero. Because worship is something you're engaged in. It's not something you watch. And it's not something you criticize. It may not be the, the old hymns you like. It might not be one you're familiar with. Learn it. 
Did you know that's one of the reasons they sing that same verse? Learn it. And then get into it. Because worship is something we're engaged in. Now listen, quickly let me reverberate through us. It impacts those who are watching. It impacts the unbeliever. This is what I want you to hold on to. This is the amazing thing that happened. When these folks just, just on their knees or standing or with their eyes open or closed or singing or not, as they were engaged before the Holy One of Israel, the great Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, the creator and sustainer of the universe... As they were freely worshiping Him, people all around were watching. But they weren't watching critically. Years ago, there was a singer that had a lot of songs that really impacted the Christian world. His name was Carmen. And there was one of his songs that he wrote about before he was saved. And as he came into a group of people who were genuinely worshiping God. And he saw the glory of God descending upon them. He said with all of his heart, I want some of that. And that's the name of his song, some of that. I want some of that. I want what he has. I want what she has. And this is what was happening in the early church. The community coming, some to criticize, some to watch and take notes, others just in wonder. They were seeing the power of God moving among His people and hearts that were totally given, willing to die for Him. And they said, I want some of that. I want what they've got. And by the hundreds, by the thousands, they made their way to Christ. See, worship when it's focused on God and it's all about Him and we lose awareness of one another and we're just free to worship and love Him. There is a power, there is a draw, there is something there that cannot be harnessed as Holy Spirit is moving to touch hearts for His kingdom. That's what I want loose here. That's the freedom and the lack of inhibitions that I won't lose here. Let me tell you something that helps me. Because <laughs> you bother me sometimes when I'm worshiping. I shut you out. You know how I shut you out? I close my eyes. I close my eyes and concentrate on the words of that song. Or I close you out and I enter into a time of prayer and praise. I close my eyes to where I can just weep. Sometimes we just have to close out this world around us. To where we can just commune with God. But listen, if you'll be intentional about this, if you'll be purposeful about this, God will move in your heart in a way you never thought possible. And He'll move in our church in a way that's incredible. Let me bring it down to this. To come next week to worship, I want you to come with a plan. That's in your notes. Come with a plan. Come with a plan. 
years ago to get away and to just, just get my mind free and such as that. I'd go down the road over here to, uh, to Papa Frank Boyle's house. And in his shop out behind there, he was a wonderful cabinet maker. Loved Frank so very much. He taught me so much about woodwork at the time. But he always would say this. He would sit down and he would, he would work out a sketch or whatever it was he was working on. And he'd tell me over and over again, Fred, plan your work and work your plan. Plan your work. Work your plan. You've got to plan your work to be prepared for worship. Whether it's just one of you at home or whether you've got a brood of ten, you've got to have a plan. Without a plan, it's not going to work. Here's a few things let me suggest to you. Set your alarm clock just a few minutes early and get up and get alone with God. Get into His Word for a moment and let Him speak to you. And understand that you're just not going through the motions to, to, to check a box off or something like this. You're, you're, you're meeting with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And He's sharing His love to you with His Word. Get quiet. Read His Word. How did we talk about coming to the table last week? Remember? How did we prepare? We said, Lord, shine Your light in my life. What is there in me? Is there any unforgiveness here? Is there any pride? Is there any, anything in my heart that would separate me from you? And what do we do? We confess that before God. We repented of that. So He could cleanse us by His blood and we could come to the table. You do the same thing next week. Anything in your heart, you deal with it to where you can come freely and enter into worship. Engage your family in this if you have family at home. Engage your kids in this. Engage your spouse in this. And let's together say, how can we come prepared? And when we get here, how can we participate in what God's wanting to do in our church? Intentional worship. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, First of all, forgive me for far too many times over my life for rushing into your presence without preparing my heart. And I got out of it, well, next to nothing every time. But when I took time, as you've instructed us, to prepare my heart, and when I've entered into it as an experience of loving you and you loving me, I've always been blessed. Always been filled to overflowing. Holy Spirit, help us with our plan this week. Help us with our plan that when we come together next week, we'll be different people entering into a unique experience in your presence. To that end, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.